Welcome to Share Truth Apply Scripture. I am Jordan Shambly, joined, as always, by Cedra Sarton. Yeah, we didn't let Wesley join us today. He could not make it. No, we booted him out. <laughs> we said this is our interview. But that's okay, because <laughs> we have a very special guest with us on the air today. We have John Cooper. Welcome to the show. What's up, guys? I'm glad y'all bo- booted that other person out. We don't that. <laughs> we'll let <laughs> him know that boss. you said that. Yeah. <laughs> That's our boss, so um, it's okay. For, for oh, th- we do need, okay, we do need <laughs> Right. Uh, okay. For those of you who are listening, you may know John from, as the lead singer of Skillet. And I I'm think sh- everybody listening sh- knows Skillet. I'm sure everybody listening knows Skillet. Look, I'm going to tell you, John, <laughs> back in the day when all of my friends were playing Guitar Hero, I had the Christian version that my parents got me called guitar praise and so while my friends were jamming out to like secular music i was playing skillet songs <laughs> on my guitar praise nice i now, love it <laughs> and so like yeah we've i've been following you guys for a long time i've got to see you guys in person and um you know i've talked with several uh, of the fellows that we work with who uh, mentioned that they actually used to go see you here in tupelo Back before anybody knew who yeah. you were, <laughs> and they said that they used to I go over there that. to the, um, the to fun the fun games or the shopping, uh, something called the fun mega sports. Yeah, well, there was actually the yeah. uh, skating skate zone that was right next to us. I remember it had the Elvis. Yes, yes. <laughs> and they and they said that it's like right next to where we are now, and they said that they used to go see you there. So yeah, I remember they were great shows. I mean, why else would I remember both of the venues? Like that? <laughs> That's amazing. It's probably nothing like you remember now. If you were to come and see it, it's it's completely different. But yeah. that's awesome. Awesome. So, <laughs> so we um, actually one of uh, the other employees who works with our American Family Studios uh, brought up the fact that you had written a book, which I'd already been seeing, mm-hmm. and that she had been talking with uh, with your people about it and about uh, a documentary that kind of, I think, fits a lot of what you, you've written here about truth. And um, and so I, I just want to say thank you so much for writing this mm-hmm. book. I've been reading through it, um, and I've, I think I've almost, com- you know, I've almost finished it. There's mm-hmm. a lot of great, um, honest moments in there from your own life. And uh, I felt myself many times reflecting back on my life and yeah. throughout throughout reading this, um, and just feeling like a connection there hmm. with the with your words. And so I'm I'm thank you so much for writing this. I, I've been finding it very very informative and very helpful. Oh, oh that's very awesome. Thank you so much. Um, yes, I, I I wrote the book. Um, you know what? I wrote this book in 13 different countries. Uh, because wow. we were touring, you know, and yeah, and I just had it on my heart. The name of the book is Awake and Alive to Truth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I wrote it because <clears throat> everywhere I was going, all around the world, not just in America, it, it, there's really the same kind of thing going on around the world, and that is this shaking up of what I found out in the end was basically philosophical foundations of the way we view the world. Mm. And I just kept noticing it and thinking, why is this so chaotic? And, and I was trying to boil it all down. And, and I came to the conclusion, you know what? We are in a post-truth society. Yeah. We, we no longer believe that there is anything that is absolutely true forever and ever. Um, it, you know, we used to believe that. And, and, and most everyone alive 
that's over 40 um, never even considered it could be any other way. Right. And so I think that that's part of, part of what's confusing for people, especially, again, if they're over 35 or 40 years old, they're like, what is happening? None of this makes any sense. And, 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 even, and, and I'm not saying that everybody used to agree on what truth was. Right, you know, it doesn't mean that that the whole world agreed uh, that you know, for instance, that Jesus is the way, truth, and the life. Not everyone agreed on that, but everyone agreed that there was eternal truth. Mm-hmm. And, and and even if they said, "Well, we don't know what happens after you die," but we all agree uh, that either something or nothing happens. There is an answer. There are not multiple answers. There's an answer. We may never be able to find that answer. So. That is the difference, really, between believing in objective truth mm-hmm. and believing in relative truth. And so I did write a lot about that in the book. And, and truthfully, for, for young people, even millennial age people, mm-hmm. it's a revolutionary concept to right. them that there is objective truth because they've grown up with it. So it is kind of, it's important to me, and it's important for the message of the gospel, but not only just for the gospel, which is the most important, of course, but even just for thriving in this world. I mean, if this world is is made according to laws, which we believe it is, mm-hmm. and it, it's it's created um, uh, for for certain things to make sense and certain things not to. You know, if you touch the hot stove, you will be burned. You know, things like that. If this world is created with laws, then we should we should try to find out what those are, or right. else we're going to just devolve into chaos, and I think that's what we're seeing every day in America, and really in the whole world. Oh, absolutely. This is such a timely book, and I do love the fact that you, you say you wrote this over you know, the, your journey across several countries that, uh, and getting that, that wider perspective of how the rest of the world thinks and approaches these questions. Again, the, the title of the book is Awake and Alive to Truth, and the subtitle is um, Finding Truth in the Chaos of a Relativistic World. Um, and really, one of the thoughts that I had as I was looking through the book I was thinking it's really interesting to see that the world that we live in, this world, it accuses Christians oftentimes of ignoring science, you know, it accuses us of ignoring, you know, the, the established thought, you know, that, that pe- ex- experts have put forth. Um, yes. <laughs> and, and, but at the same time, that same world is so preoccupied with emotional thinking and and what feels right in the moment and your truth and my truth and how these things can coexist or not, uh, rather than critical thinking. And in your experience, why do you think this contradiction exists? Well, you know what? Um, I think that I've got a good answer for you, I hope. It is a little bit academic, so I, I'm going to try to say it in a way, <laughs> yeah, I don't want people to turn off, but it's actually quite important. And I think some of it is, is, is because the objective of, of reasoning and thinking has actually changed. Mm. And, it, you know, we used to have, excuse me, traditional, traditional thinking and, and, and traditional theories. And what it was, hey, the idea was that there is reality. We see reality. You wake up in the morning, you look and you see reality. And if, if what you see is not consistent with the world around us, then we go to doctors, right? right? Mm-hmm. We go to you know, clinicians. I'm seeing things I'm not supposed to be seeing, maybe quite literally, right? Or I'm thinking things that are, I'm, I'm paranoid. I think people are trying to kill me when they're not really trying to kill me. Well, there's a problem. Mm-hmm. We don't 
the goal of thinking is no longer that. And, mm. and I think that you could trace this back to the 1960s in a lot of ways with like uh, critical theories and things like that. And the idea that we're not necessarily trying to see the world as, as it is. We are trying to change the world into what we want it to mm. be. So now truth is not defined as something that is absolute and, you know, objective. Truth is kind of defined on, well, this is kind of what I want things to be. And so that is why there's the constant push to trust science as a god. But even the same people that say that often don't believe in the science that they're pushing. And when the science changes, they don't mind. They still celebrate it. So, you know, thus, that's why we have, even within the last year of COVID, uh, COVID, I mean, you've got in January, you've got... uh, uh, the World Health Organization last January, a year ago, telling us that COVID-19 is not transmutable from humans to humans, you know? Mm-hmm. And that was the science. Believe it. Believe the science. Don't deny it. Well, they're wrong about it, but no one ever apologizes, and no one ever says, hey, we don't know if we can trust the science. <laughs> then you have the mask. You have to wear a mask. And then they come out and say, actually, don't wear a mask. It's actually not, not helpful to you. And then they reverse it again. But no one ever goes back and, and says, yeah, we were wrong. Right. They they just kind of keep following the God. Right. But to them, it doesn't matter that it changes, because their idea of truth is not something that is uh, um, objective. Their idea of truth is simply creating the world that they want to create, and they don't care if they have to do injustice to create what they perceive as justice. Mm-hmm. And 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 that's that's when you get into all the really really confusing things. But but again. Mm-hmm. If you don't have an objective idea of truth and an objective idea of justice, then justice is going to just—anyone that has a truth claim will then have a justice claim. You know, this is what I think truth is, uh, you know, but people shouldn't be allowed to eat almonds. And now it's justice if you enforce a law not allowing people to eat almonds, Mm. right? Right. I just made that up. I don't really know why. (laughs) Almonds. That's okay. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of people with allergies who are very pro uh, an- or anti almond, actually. <laughs> yeah, you know, people get real worked up about right you know, the kind of yeah. Um, well, I, I and I do think too. I mean, I've heard certain secular scientists. I mean, people who don't believe in God even, but who are honest at least, say that science isn't necessarily truth. It's just our our best educated guess as to what that truth is. And the interesting thing yeah. is. Most Christians, I would say, I mean, by and large anyway, would agree with that statement that we would say, well, of course, we don't want to uh, ignore, you know, the scientific findings of the day. I mean, we, we apply them as is appropriate, um, but we don't we don't attach this moral, like you said, this justice um, reaction to that. Um, yeah, again, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think we can really have a discussion about truth. And you did hit on this a little bit, and we and and not talk about the source of truth, which is the Word of God. Um, mm-hmm. We've seen attacks. I mean, especially recently, but not ne- not exclusively recently, just constantly throughout history. Um, beginning really in the Garden of Eden, when Satan cast doubt on the truth of God's Word, and we continue to see attacks on the Word of God today. And Christians are feeling the pressure to back off on solid biblical doctrine in order to be more politically correct or appealing to a world that has no interest in God. Um, So have you ever faced that pressure yourself? And how should a Christian handle that pressure? Right. Yeah, I I think you actually said that very well. 
um, you know, it's really sad what is happening in the church. And 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 sometimes when you say in the church, it might make it sound less mm. uh, less personal. Right. I'm not trying to make it sound less personal. When I say in the church, what I'm what I'm trying to say is this is happening to people I know, friends of mine, family, people that I've loved, people that I never thought their lives would get destroyed, mm. people that. Um, are leaving their their spouses, people that have cheated on their spouses, people that have left their you know wrote about this one thing in the book, people that have left their their marriage to um, start yeah. uh, a, a same sex uh, relationship and a new marriage, and, and the confusion of uh, of all of that and, and what it does to the kids, and, and it's just been brutal. So when I say in the church, it's personal to me, but it's not just me. I think we're all seeing this. We're all noticing, even with public uh, the pastors, public ministers of the word. After twenty, thirty years coming out saying, "Hey, mm. my my faith is really shaken. I don't see how a good God could ever punish some someone for eternity for sin." So I, I I'm out. I'm after twenty twenty five years of ministry. That's kind of strange. So mm. I think that it's a really great time for us to press in on people and remind them that the, the the Word of God is the only standard that we that we have, and, and the Word of God never changes. And if you don't build your life upon the Word of God, then then basically your idea of truth is going to be changing with the trends. And the trends are, are so, they're always wrong. The trends are always wrong. Look back in history of all the amount of people who believed they were doing something really moral, that they thought they were, do, you know, and, and, and in that idea of their own morality, they end up becoming dictators and, and killing 20, 30 million people. Um, almost like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to enforce something that's good for you, and if you don't want it, then the only way to get unity is to kill everyone or put them in the gulags, whatever, right? So I, I think that it's just been really sad to see uh, so many people that I love just go, ah, you know, I'm into Jesus, but I don't, I don't really believe the Bible is actually accurate. And then here I am, five or six years later, looking at the wreckage of, of their lives. So I think it's a great time to in, in, to, to reinvigorate people yeah. with the Word of God. If you don't believe in the Word of God, then I don't know how you can say you follow Jesus. Because you have no basis of knowing who Jesus is. Mm. Um, if the word if the Word of God is not necessarily can't be taken and trustworthy, then, then how do you even know that Jesus actually walked on the planet, you know, uh, or if he was just another, like, good man? I mean, at that point, there's lots of people you could follow, Confucius, and there's lots of people that were here, but there's only one Son of God um, who, who died on the cross to pay the penalty for sin so that we can be forgiven. So if you don't believe that, then, then I, I don't understand how you have a basis for Christianity. Yeah. And I'm trying not to give too much away here from from the book because I really do want people to go to johnlcooper.com slash awake. Y'all like what I did there? (laughs) And check this book out. (laughs) Link is in the description. Yes. (laughs) So please check that out and really consider picking this book up for yourself and reading it. But um, you had some stuff in there talking about the language, the, the change in language, going to things like her truth or his truth or my truth. And it's different from your truth. And I, I mean, you know, that's something that's actually confused me. And I was really glad that you brought that up. The fact that uh, that 
that there could be many truths. And I, to me, that just sounds like a world of chaos, you know, where... Yeah. Because <laughs> I can't, if there's more than one truth, then, you know, there's no there's no answers. There's no clear path. It's just whichever way you want to go. And it, it when you're when you have it like that, then you've got paths pulling against each other. So that's just going to cause more conflict and destruction in my eyes. But uh, I, I just want to yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I'm just going to give that to you and let you run with it. And I just want to know sure. <laughs> what you have to say about that particular. Well, it, it really idea. is. A, well, it really is a problem. And it's not just, um, it, it's not just like, you know, people that are of a certain age that are like, I, I don't like that vernacular. It's not just that we don't like the way that people are, are talking. It's the philosophies underneath it uh, that, that are really problematic. And the more people use it, to use those phrases, the, the more they begin to, to, to believe the philosophies underneath it, whether it's ever been explained to them or not. And so the idea of people saying, well, she spoke her truth, mm. things like that, what they're trying to say is that there are different, because they don't believe in, in pure, objective truth that never changes, they don't believe that. They believe that truth is, it, it is subjective, and it is relative, it, it's kind of open to interpretation, but the, the reigning and ruling culture, which would be, you know, the patriarchy, and it would be, uh, you know, white people, it would be men, it would be, you know, uh, even Christianity, if you're talking about America. The way they see it is that the reigning culture has pushed down their version of truth on top of everyone else. And because truth isn't real, this is just our idea of of what's true, but we want everyone else to agree with us. That's basically what they're saying. So when people say things like, she told her truth and she must be believed, believe women, she shared her truth, what they're trying to say is that we need to give more validity to people who have been oppressed. That's the idea. And women have been oppressed by men and this and the other. And so there should be more uh, weight on what she believes than what he believes, because she's been, you know, um, it's kind of like if people follow philosophy and whatnot, it's basically the theory of intersectionality. So that is where all of these, like, truth claims come in, her truth, your truth, my truth. They say, well... I'm going to share my truth. And what they mean, whether they know it or not, you can't appeal to facts. You can't appeal to reason. And so me as a man, if I was to argue with you, well, then I, w- I would just be showing my privilege, my male privilege, because you have been oppressed, so I just need to listen. And I need to do the work and listen to what you say. That's the only way that I can be absolved from the sins of the patriarchy. So I realize that not everybody understands all those things when they say something like, this was just my truth. But but what it means is, this is my truth. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what the facts are. It doesn't matter about having a discussion. This is what I believe, and you can't take it away from me, nor can you say that it's not true. And if you do say it's not true, all it does is prove that you do not have moral virtue because you are oppressing me. All of this is wrapped up in these philosophies that are that are so confusing, to be honest. But right. they are affecting us, and they are working their way into Christianity. And mm. that, so, uh, imagine all those philosophies, and then put them into reading the Bible. 
Like, imagine that you grow up with it, and that's the way you see the world. And now you read the Bible, and now you say, well, my truth is that, that, that Jesus didn't really raise from the dead. I think it's just, it's just an idea, and, and that's my truth. Or, or even some of the things that, like we talked about, you know, health. My truth is that a good God wouldn't actually do that. It's oppressive, and Jesus came to, to save the marginalized and the oppressed. And so, therefore, I don't think that hell is real. That, that's like the relativistic Christian worldview that yeah. is really, really problematic. Right. And I, and I think, too, that uh, we can see a direct correlation between the weakening of the, ch- the, the Christians and the, the, ch- the church's um, position on the truth. We can see a correlation between that and the degradation of truth in society. Um, because we are supposed to be, you know, the salt and light. We are supposed to be that preservative in culture. And for many years, I would say, in um, much of the, the the Western world anyway, um, we've seen that. And God has blessed us and ha- had mercy on us for, for so long. But um, there's often now we see a high cost when it comes to living in the truth. I mean, if cancel culture has taught us anything, <laughs> it's um, that there, there once may have been a time when someone could have believed something and expressed it, and then someone who disagreed would simply have just argued or just gone about their business as if it didn't affect them. Yeah. But now, if if you dis, if you express a an idea that goes against uh, what culture accepts as correct. They don't just ignore you or, you know, argue with you. They actively try to destroy you now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's that's the difference between a boycott and, a, and, and canceling someone. A boycott is just not participating. Canceling is trying to destroy them. <laughs> so absolutely uh, these these things that there's a there's a, a, a large price tag connected to living in the truth. Um, so. How can a Christian resist the urge to capitulate? Well, I think you just touched on something really important, which is is the idea of cancel culture. Mm-hmm. And sometimes people from outside of of either conservatism and meaning just in just in politics or Christian conservatism, which which you know made, made traditional Christianity. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when they hear the cancel culture, they think that oh, this is just something that is political. People are making a big deal out of nothing. Right. But you're actually you're actually exactly right. Here's the reason it's a, it's a big deal. You just said it. It's because if if those people don't like what a Christian says, or you know what, as you just mentioned, they do have to destroy you because you're not just in disagreement. You're actually evil to them, yeah. and it is because they actually do follow. It's a pseudo religion. I don't mean that it's a religion like it has a name. Okay, it's not mm-hmm. Buddhism. It's not Islam. Whatever. But it is a pseudo-religion that they have where they do meet out uh, uh, virtue. You know, they meet out justice depending on what they define as, as moral and immoral. And so if you're saying something that is against their, their code and their vision of, of you know, equity and, and all these kinds of ideas, then they actually do see you as an evil person. Yeah. It's not that they disagree with you. They believe you are actually evil. That's why it looks more like a religion mm-hmm. than a philosophy. And so in their minds, basically, I know I'm going to sound really hyperbolic here, but it's really true. In their minds, if you make a stand for something that, that they don't like, and whatever that may be, if, if you say Jesus is the only truth, mm-hmm. well, that is, 
that is very, very offensive to them because um, because you are not being inclusive. And, and, you know, basically, you aren't a moral person and you need to be canceled because you basically are just as evil as, you know, Hitler or somebody like that because Hitler was exclusive and he believed that his ideas were the best and yada, yada, yada. They basically view it like that and it is their moral duty to get rid of you. You, you should not be allowed to speak in society because you are spreading hate speech that they, they believe that anything outside of that inclusivity is, is actually hate speech according to their pseudo-religion. So what does that mean for Christians? That means that us Christians, we really need to be prepared for the words of Jesus. Remember when Jesus told his disciples? He said, hey, don't be alarmed if the world hates you, because they hated me first. What, what he's basically saying is, is, they hate my words, they hate my truth, they are at enmity against the Creator, and they deny me, and you are sharing those words, so they're going to hate you too. What I really want to get across to a lot of um, my Christian brothers and sisters is that in America, we have not had to live in a society where people hate us for our faith, because we have been a general—I I don't want to say we're a Christian nation, right. because that is the wrong terminology, but we have been, we've had a Christian worldview mm-hmm. that has been very accepting of a monotheistic God and whatnot. So we haven't had to suffer for the gospel, and I believe that we are just now in the faith where we are going to find out how much the world can hate us. Mm-hmm. And I think that we have to kind of like get prepared for that idea and say, okay, they're hating the message, and that means I need to stand more firm right. in the message because if I back down from it, then I will basically drift off into not believing the words of Christ. Mm. So that's how I believe we stand. There's two ways to go about it. You either, you either soften so you can get along with the world, or you stand more firm, and it, and it builds your faith up because you realize that these words of Christ that you followed actually do set men free. Yeah. It, it's the only truth that sets free. So that's my two cents. <laughs> well, that's great. Don't hold back now. <laughs> <laughs> and um, before we have to uh, break here, um, you do have a podcast that you talk about all the, all this. <laughs> yeah. uh, yes, I have a podcast called Cooper Stuff Podcast. Uh, you can get on Apple and follow me on Facebook, or you go to YouTube, Cooper Stuff Podcast. Right. And I do talk. I talk about where kind of faith and culture kind of kind of collide, and it, it does handle politics. It's not meant to be political, but I do right. talk about politics from a Christian worldview. So I hope that it helps people out. That's awesome. So we'll put a link to that in the uh, the notes of this episode, as well as a link to the book, Awake and Alive to Truth, Finding Truth in the Chaos of a Relativistic World. That's at johnlcooper.com slash awake. John, this has been an amazing discussion. Thank you so much for joining us today. I sure love being with you guys. Thanks for what you're doing. Thank you. And uh, as always, guys, uh, until next week, continue to share truth and apply scripture. We'll see you in the next episode.